0: I'm Chloe Potter, and this is Vision Vibes, the podcast that brings you stories from all walks of life. Today's guest is Nick Merriman. Nick runs a natural history museum in South London in the UK called the Horniman Museum. It's a place I used to visit with my children when they were small. I was charmed. I remember thinking, this is what a museum should be. A place full of curiosities from around the world, Ancient treasures, towering exotic plants and prehistoric bones. Things that spark the imagination and curiosity of both children and adults alike. But the Horniman and other museums like it have become increasingly problematic. Because many of the treasures that these places hold were claimed, pillaged or stolen from other countries during years of colonisation and war. These museums are only possible because of historic mistreatment of people and cultures. This issue is something Nick wants to face head on.
1: About five or six years ago, we began really examining what it means to be a colonial museum. Uh, the, the Horniman's collection was founded during the, and collected during the heyday of the British Empire, and it continued up to the the 1950s uh, in terms of major acquisitions. We also realised from talking to people who didn't visit us um, that there were members of the black community, for example, who were very suspicious about the Horniman, seeing it as a colonial museum and not for them, didn't speak to them, because things like the Benin Bronzes were not being addressed. In February 1897, um, because of a political and trade dispute with, between the British and the Oba of Benin City, Um, a a, a military force went in to essentially punish the Oba for his, what were perceived to be trade transgressions and actually attacking some British forces. And they uh, destroyed and looted much of the royal uh, palaces and shrines and took away what what seemed to be some 10,000 objects A lot of them, the so-called bronzes, are actually made of brass, and they're uh, cast reliefs, each of them unique, depicting uh, uh, centuries-old members of the Beninese royal family, uh, political leaders, military chiefs, and so on, which were attached to the walls of the palace, along with carved elephant ivory tusks uh, domestic items, uh, bracelets and other items of jewellery and so on. These objects were then uh, sold on the market um, to museums and private collectors all around the world. And it seems that Frederick Horniman was probably the first collector in Britain to acquire material because he bought some directly from a man who was involved in the looting just one month after the looting actually happened in Nigeria. Certainly when Nigeria got independence in 1960, there have been, been successive calls for their return. And it's, um, both physically returning the history, but also in a way atoning for some of the, what were perceived to be the, the crimes of the colonial period. So they have a, a sort of historical and symbolic significance for Nigerian communities, both in the UK uh, and in Nigeria itself. And locally to us in, in the Horniman, actually our largest minority ethnic group is British Nigerian people. So they have a particularly strong stake in this. And we have, a, we have had a permanent display of Benin material, which has been a sort of source of interest and contention ever since it was put up. So um, restitution is one part of this, but a much bigger part, I think, is being is telling actually just a wider and historically more um, uh, complex and nuanced history of both how the Horniman was founded and where the money came from, and also where the collections came from. And actually, when we've started to do that, it's been really welcomed by our by our by our visitors. Uh, We we actually returned uh, ownership in November, and four of the items that were on display were physically returned. The rest are on loan. We, We see four gaps with labels explaining that they've been returned to the Nigerian colleagues. And throughout the process, we've been changing the labels to... Reflect, first of all, that the claim had been made and then the outcome of the claim. The next big thing is to work over the next 18 months or so to redisplay the case completely. Uh, And we're doing that as a a sort of co-curation exercise with colleagues in Nigeria and with our local British Nigerian community saying, what do you think the story should be? We're not sure whether all 72 objects will eventually be returned. Um, uh, colleagues in Nigeria, who we've been working very closely with, they say they need to build capacity to take the various, many objects that are being offered to them from institutions around the world.
0: As museums and all sorts of other organisations attempt to make amends for the past, perhaps the most important ingredient is collaboration. Nick believes that the magic of museums should be for everyone and he is doing what he can in his small corner of South London to stand by that principle. He's working with his local community and also with colleagues in other countries to make sure everyone feels represented and welcome and to make sure that the stories that sit alongside the objects that are on display are true. He explains that the people the Horniman Museum needs to engage the most are the people who live nearby.
1: The thing that I find absolutely wonderful about um, being in charge of the Horniman is that we can have long-term relationships with our visitors. Um, The best museums are always thinking about the social impact they can make on how to inspire people, uh, give people, uh, improve people's well-being and so on. And if people are just coming on a once-off visit as a tourist, that's quite difficult to do. But because people come again and again here, um, I often meet people who say, say, well, we come every week to the museum, which is absolutely incredible. And I meet people who say, well, I'm a grandparent now. Uh, my grandparents bought, brought me The commonest word people say in relation to the Horniman when they speak to me is that I love the Horniman. So for a museum to evoke love is a very rare and precious thing. Restitution claims are all different. So there's been a lot of publicity on the Benin uh, material because nobody disputes that they were looted. But that's one specific case. Um, I think we're going to see more claims. we are anticipating some uh, claims for Australian Aboriginal material that's called uh, Secret and Sacred material, which is material that was only, uh, should only have been seen by initiated males. So I think there's a cluster of cases that are um, looting by force or inappropriate material in UK museums. We'll probably see um, uh, a range of those being addressed in the the years to come. Those are a tiny proportion of the holdings in UK museums. People are often worried about, oh, well, if you give stuff back, the floodgates will open and British museums will uh, become empty. The Horniman has about 300,000 objects and we've agreed to return uh, ownership of 72 that were clearly stolen
0: museums offer a lot and perhaps they are needed now more than ever they can offer a calm sanctuary in our busy technology-driven lives a space to explore a new interest find inspiration or simply to daydream and storytell in london most of the museums are free too an amazing resource available to all But unless museums change and address their colonial legacy, they simply won't be embraced by everyone. Having listened to this, do you think you will experience museums differently? Do you think you will be more mindful about where objects have come from and how they ended up on display? That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed this story, you might be interested to listen to Lisa Power talk about a new museum dedicated to the LGBTQ community. You can find out more about all the Vision Vibes episodes on the NHK World Japan website. I'm Chloe Potter. Please join us next time to hear more from inspiring people around the world on Vision Vibes.